Hey everyone, this is Anthony Fleming, Senior Pastor of Church Alive, praying that this message is fresh, real, and powerful in your mind, your heart, your family, every part of your life. If you enjoy these messages, subscribe to it, share it with a friend to build their faith. God bless you as you lean in to the power and presence of God's Word. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Stand up with me. Everybody stand up with me. We're going to say a quick prayer. Uh, as Pastor Mir and Pastor Mouse said, I'm uh, your friendly neighborhood kids director. And I'm, eating, I, I'm on staff now for about four years. I know where things are in the building, so my phone is constantly blowing up. Uh, it's a good thing, uh, and I feel so happy and honored to be here. Thank you, pastors, for trusting me. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we come to you this morning, Lord God, with open hearts, Lord God, and open minds to receive, Lord God, what you uh, want to tell us through each speaker on stage this morning. Father God, I pray right now for your peace to be here, for your guidance, for your wisdom. I pray, Father God, for you to just get in the cracks, Lord God, that you're us seemingly wanting to fill and heal, and we thank you and give you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I want to start off today talking about one of my favorite people in the Bible, a woman named Esther. Now you may be familiar with her story, and I don't have time to go through the whole thing chapter by chapter, but I'm going to go through the major points. You ready? So this woman named Esther, she was an orphan. And she was, at this point in history, the Jewish people were living under the rule of the Persian kingdom. Esther was an orphan who, as she got older, uh, the king saw her as beautiful and made her one of his wives. I love my wife. She's amazing. She's the best thing that happened to me. But one's good. He had a lot. But Esther was his favorite. Another person in the story, her uncle Mordecai. How many people would love to have an uncle named Mordecai? I love that name. It's absolutely great. Guess who else had favor with the king? Uncle Mordecai. Because Uncle Mordecai thwarted an assassination attempt. So the king trusted Esther and trusted her uncle. Now enter in the villain. His name is Haman. Now when I think of Haman, guys, put the picture up. When I think of Haman, I think of Jafar from Aladdin. He is pure evil. And every time I think of Haman... I get that mug right there. (laughs) Haman doesn't like Uncle Mordecai. You know why? Because Uncle Mordecai refused to bow and worship him. Because Uncle Mordecai only will bow and worship the one true God. So Haman devises this plan and says, I'm going to have Mordecai killed. I'm going to have all the Jews killed. Uncle Mordecai finds out about this and goes to Esther and says, Esther, we need your help. You have favor with the king. Can you go and talk to him? Now listen, even though Esther was his favorite, approaching the king is not like you would do nowadays where if you ladies have a request for your husband, you just walk in the living room and say, can you take out the trash? It doesn't work like that. If you approach this king unsummoned, you could be killed on the spot, no matter who you are to him. But remember, Esther was a favorite. Esther's feeling all this pressure. How many times you feel pressure and you have to do something you really don't want to do or you have to say something you really don't want to do and the first thing you do is I got to tell somebody, I got to do something. You know what Esther does? She fasts and prays for three days and she asks her people to fast and pray with her. She doesn't react. She doesn't run in the kingdom. Yo, your boy Haman's trying to do something. No. 
She tells her people to fast and pray. After the three days, she gets all prettied up, walks into the throne room, sees her husband, and he raises his staff and welcomes her. She now has the position with the king to give her request. I want to read from Esther chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. It says this. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given to you. Esther replies, if it pleases the king, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet. Esther prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again says to Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Ladies, things are going really well right now. The king's like, I will give you half of what I want. Just tell me. Half what I have, just tell me. But Esther knows who she is. Esther is obedient and Esther is calm. My petition and request is this. If the king regards you with favor... And if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to a banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So she invites them to two banquets before she even opens her mouth and tells her king what Haman's trying to do. At the second banquet, this is where everything comes to surface. Not only does she tell the king, but Haman starts flipping out. He's like, Esther, no, we can fix this. Like, he's going crazy. It got so crazy, the king thought Haman was trying to molest his wife. Guess what the king did? He impaled Mordecai. If you don't know what impaled means, look it up when you go home. (laughs) Not only killed, not Mordecai, sorry, Haman. Not only did he kill Haman, but he wound up killing a lot of other people that served with Haman. Because Haman became untrustworthy. Now, I share this story for you for this simple reason. Esther walked in boldness of her identity because she knew if she didn't, it could have been the end of a nation. Because all those Jews under the rule of the king of Persia would have been wiped out. And that's a problem, obviously. Esther didn't bring her need first. She simply first requested his presence at the feast. So I want to ask you guys a quick question. Have you ever prayed and never got an answer from God? Are you seemingly like crickets, like, hello, Lord? I go to church four days a week. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm praying. Nothing happens. Well, seemingly nothing happens. Let me give you some good news. It's not because he doesn't want to speak to you. And it's not because you've blown it. Our father in heaven is not like our father on earth. Our father in heaven is not like our mother on earth that may have abused us or hurt us. Or you grew up in a tough circumstance. Our father in heaven is a loving, amazing father. We have access to our Father because of grace, because of what Jesus did. Now, we use the the story of Esther and and, uh, the king, but that king is not like our Father in heaven. We have opportunity to step up, and when we do step in the Father's uh, presence, what does he do every single time? Come son, come daughter. More cases than not, we forget that we are a son and we are a daughter, and that Jesus came because John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And once you accept Jesus in your heart, guess what? You are now adopted into the kingdom. You are a son or a daughter that you could walk up to the father whenever you want and say, 
Daddy, I need you. Our approach is where we have to work on it. 1 John 5, 13, verse 15 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know we have what we ask of him. You see, Esther knew that getting what she wanted, for lack of a better word, she needed to have relationship with her husband first. How many times we approach God and we treat him like Santa? Open up that list, Lord, here's what I need this week. And God's like, I just want you to sit with me. I know what's on the list. I told you to write it on the list. I knew what the list was before you whipped up a pen, before you woke up this morning. I want you to sit with me. And it's not like manipulation or anything crazy like that. He loves us more than what we could do for him. He loves us more than the people we're praying for. He loves us more than the situation you're going through right now. And it may be really hard. But he wants to have relationship with us. Because when we have relationship with God, guess what? When we pray, we pray his will for our lives. Someone asked me the definition. Someone asked me to define salvation when I was younger. I've been saved since I was a kid. So I'd be like, you know, someone who accepts Jesus and yada, yada, yada. And this person said to me, his definition, he was a pastor, his definition of salvation is simply exchanging your will for your life for God's will for your life. So anything that we toil through, anything that we fight through, God is there. But when we approach him, it's like, Lord, I need you. Lord, I just want to sit with you. Here's all my requests. How many people are familiar with our father? The first four lines, our father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All the requests come at the end of the prayer. We pray his kingdom come and his will be done in our lives because he knows what we need better than we know what we need. And my encouragement to you guys is this, and I'm done, is when you approach your father, do it with wanting to have relationship with him because you will then know what he has for you. Amen. Can you hear me? Yes, that was awful, Ed. All right. Hello. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Katie, and I'm a pastor on team, and I'm so excited to get to share this morning. And as I was praying uh, for this weekend, I really just felt like um, I was supposed to share something that Jesus has been doing in my life recently, which I don't always love sharing on because I would love to share something that you know, I conquered like a long time ago, so I could tell you how awesome it was that I conquered it. Um, But I felt like I was supposed to share something that Jesus is teaching me right now, and the title of my message is Go Deeper. Go Deeper. Someone say, Go Deeper. And I feel like that has been, that phrase has been on my mind, it's been on my heart, it's been in my prayers. I feel like I can't shake it that what I've been learning right now is how to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. You know, a lot of times we can get complacent in certain areas of our life. Has anyone ever gotten complacent? Yeah. Yeah. Usually, sometimes, for me, happens in working out. Um, But, you know, we can get complacent in a lot of areas. And sometimes when we start something new, like if you start a new job and 
maybe the new job is just a little bit above your experience level. You can have excitement about the new job. You can want to learn, want to grow, want to do all these things, and there's this passion for it. But then once you get used to the job and you get comfortable with the job, you can go into complacency where you know there's probably a few more things you should do or learn, but you're used to the job now and you get comfortable. And this can happen in relationships. This can happen in our walk with God and in our faith. And depending on how long we've been a Christian, sometimes we can get used to what church is like. We can get used to the worship songs. We can get used to the word. I know sometimes I can get used to it, and we forget sometimes to go deeper. We can get stuck in that complacency and that apathy. And then sometimes something happens that disrupts that complacency because we have to grow. Like if you get a promotion, like if you have a new relationship, if there's something that disrupts it because now it's time to grow. The complacency has to be disrupted so there can be growth. And I felt like that's what Jesus has been doing in my heart over and over again. It's been like it's time to disrupt this area where you're getting complacent. It's time to disrupt this so that you can grow. It's not always fun um, having a lot of disruption. But <laughs> continue. Oh, I actually didn't mean that to mean that. <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever phone went off? I love you. I wasn't trying to say that. It just timed perfectly. Um, <laughs> but I meant I don't always love when Jesus disrupts my comfort, you know, because I like it. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, <laughs> where am I right now? Oh, <laughs> so we have to have that disruption to go deeper. And James 4, 7 to 8 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And it can sound so simple, but when I've been learning about going deeper in my relationship with Jesus, it's been as simple as come near to God and he will come near to you. Now it can sound simple, but sometimes it's not easy because life happens. And it's so important that when life happens, we just keep coming near to God because it's not a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. When things happen, when things are frustrating, when things don't go well, we have to continue to come to Jesus and continue to come to him no matter what's going on. And then the, part, the second part I never really thought about before, but as I was praying, I thought about it differently. It says, come near to God and then God will come near to you. But I found sometimes, at least for me, we want to come near to Jesus. Like that sounds exciting. Yeah, I want to be passionate. I want to come near to Jesus. I want a closer relationship. But then when he starts coming near to us, sometimes he wants to come deeper in our life and he wants to talk to us about things that we don't want him to talk to us about. So sometimes we come near, but then he's saying, okay, but now will you let me come near to you? You want to go deeper, but now will you let me go deeper in your life? And the first part of that verse says, submit. And I think in order to draw near and then have Jesus draw near to us, we actually have to have a heart that's submitted, that says, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm going to do that. And I was also reading through Acts chapter 5, and it really something in it really stuck out to me. And I'm just going to summarize uh, part of it. I'm going to pick it up in verse 17, but right before that, the apostles in the book of Acts have been following Jesus. They've been passionate. They've been going deeper in their relationship with Jesus, reading the word, preaching it, teaching it. People are getting saved. There's miracles. People are being healed. It's an incredible time. And then we're going to pick it up in verse 17. So this is right after the Bible saying all these miracles are happening through the apostles. And then it says, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to put myself in the scripture when I read it, because otherwise, sometimes I can just read it as like a check mark, but I don't actually hear what I'm supposed to hear. And so, when I was reading this, I was like, you know, this is me, and I was preaching the word, and I was teaching the word, and then I got put in jail by people who hate me and want to kill me. And then, an angel of the Lord broke me free and said, you know what? Now, go back to the very temple where you were arrested. Go back there and continue to do what you were arrested for. I think I just might have been like, you know, angel. <laughs> the thing is, I know you're like the angel of the Lord. Um, but the thing is, I got arrested for doing the same thing you want me to go do. And when this high priest guy goes to the jail in the morning, he's going to come looking for us. And now he's going to be more mad because it's like, you know, we went away from where we were supposed to be. So he, he's going to be angry. And so I think I might have just asked the angel, you know, could we go preach about Jesus somewhere else? Like everybody in the world needs to know about Jesus, right? Sometimes when I make excuses to God, they just, they sound very spiritual. Like, yeah, I'm just going to go over here and preach to Jesus. Like they're not trying to kill me. Let's just go there. Or, you know, I may have just been like, they didn't have good food in jail. Can we go eat first? Can I go see my family first? I think I just would have thought of a lot of other things except for going back to the place that I was arrested at. And when I was reading this, I don't know about you. I don't know if you would want to go back to the place you were arrested. But when I was reading this, I felt like just this nudge in my heart about how there was this opposition. But the apostles had such a deep relationship with Jesus that his message was so deep in them that what they really wanted at the core of their life was to share that message with other people regardless of the opposition. And I read it and I was like, oh. I read it and I was like, man, it has opposition changed my mission? Has opposition changed your mission? Has opposition changed what we feel like God has called us to do? And it was this moment when I was reading it that I was like, oh, that's such a hard question, Jesus. <laughs> but as I was reading it, I was like, you know, sometimes the opposition does change what we feel like God was calling us to do. For example, we could get so excited in a moment where we feel like God is speaking to us, and we can be like, yes, I want to go do that thing. I'm going to go do that thing. And then opposition comes, and your opposition probably doesn't look like strangers putting you in jail. But your opposition could look like exhaustion, fear, disappointment, discouragement, um, unforgiveness, all of these things. And opposition comes, and it's like what we felt like we were supposed to do in a worship moment six days later with opposition it kind of just loses its appeal because of the opposition and even if we continue sometimes on the mission I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me but do you still have passion on the mission maybe you're still being the mom you're supposed to be the dad you're supposed to be the co-worker but is there that passion and if there isn't if the opposition has taken it all we got to do is go back to our relationship with Jesus on a deeper way. We just have to draw near again. And again, it sounds simple, 
but I know sometimes that it's not from experience. And I just want to encourage us today, if you feel like that's you, and it has been me too, to just continue to draw near again, regardless of the opposition, to stop staring at the opposition and put your eyes back on Jesus and go, I'm going to keep drawing near. I'm going to keep drawing near no matter what happens. I want your message so deep in my heart, Jesus, that if any opposition comes, it's not taking me off of my mission. I want to follow you no matter what. I want to share your word no matter what. I'm going to continue to go after you no matter what. And so I just want to encourage us to continue to draw near. I feel like all I've really been doing and, and feeling when I pray to go deeper is to keep drawing near and then when he draws near to me and speaks to me to let him go deeper in my life and to listen. The same way the apostles right away were like, yep, let's go back and preach in the temple. Draw near to him and let him draw near to you. And I believe as we do that, Jesus has so much more for us. There's so much more that he has for us as we draw near. Sometimes when we're far away, we can feel like there's nothing left. And as soon as you draw near, you're like, oh, he has more joy for me, more peace for me, more love for me. So I just want to encourage us to continue to draw near and go deeper in him. Amen. And now Chris is coming up. All right, can we thank God for Pastor Katie, as well as my brother Ed. Good word. All right, y'all ready? So if you don't know who I am, my name is Chris Flowers, and I've been a part of the Church Alive community for approximately four years, and it's been great. We've got great leaders. We've got great people that are a part of our church that really love God and it's been a pleasure to serve on the worship team and the prayer team and the video team and all the teams, teams, teams that we have because at Church Alive, we love teams <laughs> and it's what we do. We get involved um, and it's something that I really love now, but not so much in the beginning. Um, if I'm honest, when I first came to Church Alive at the Williams Center, my wife and I, I was very, I was in a very different place. I'll say it nicely. And um, have you ever just felt full and empty at the same time? Yeah. Man, life had really pulled me to a place where I was at my capacity. And here's the thing. I've been saved all my life. I know Jesus. I serve um, incessantly at uh, church. And at the same time, I was kind of grieving the loss of my younger brother or something kind of tragic. And then, of course, I have my marriage. We have a new baby. And then I'm pouring into my career seemingly very unsuccessfully. And I'm moving and I'm shaking and I'm making things work and I'm moving and I'm shaking and I'm making things work and nothing's really working because as I'm moving and I'm shaking, I'm moving Jesus out of the driver's seat. And when that happens, we end up in those unexpected places. Why do I feel empty? Why am I heavy? What's going on? Those things that you can't explain. You know you're there, but you can't really articulate it well. And I had come to a place where I knew that my smile wasn't the same. My laugh wasn't the same. I felt like I was completely empty of joy. And joy for me was a real anchor that I had throughout my life. And we all have different anchors. For some of us, it's kindness, love. But for me, joy was something that I really held on to. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I didn't have any. So obviously, we're going to talk about joy, right? Yeah. So what is joy? Joy is typically synonymous with happiness, right? We usually use those words interchangeably, like they're the same thing. And joy can reveal itself in the form of happiness, but they're not 
the same thing. I would define happiness as a moment of intense pleasure or satisfaction. Emphasis on the word moment, meaning it is fleeting, it is temporary, it is not here to stay. And a moment can be a few seconds, a couple of hours, or a few weeks. Either way, we know a moment's not permanent. Happiness is not permanent. And we cannot be sustained on something that's not lasting. So joy, however, is much deeper. Joy has roots, as we'll see in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, I believe, is coming up here in a second. Here we go. The Bible describes joy this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That means that joy is an attribute of someone living in accord with the Holy Spirit. So it's probably safe to say that if I don't have joy, I'm probably not living in accord with the Holy Spirit. And when we lose these anchors, we leave ourselves wide open to be tossed about by life's storms. In my case, I was allowing things to diminish my joy. So what kind of things diminish our joy? Distractions, like relationships, needy relationships, a demanding job, social media, good God, social media can be a big distraction. And as they say, whatever holds your attention holds your heart. That's right. Another thing that can diminish your joy, comparison. What you think you should have or should be compared to what somebody else set the standard as. Usually a person, you don't even know who they are. (laughs) Why does what they say matter? But we do that sometimes. And these things can lead to self-doubt, which are all rooted in fallacies, in lies of the enemy. Self-motivated success can diminish your joy. There's nothing wrong with having goals and dreams and setting your aim high. But when you move Jesus out of the driver's seat, when you take up life of your own strength and try to make things happen on your own, it never ends well. Trust me. So now, this is the reason why I feel like this last verse in particular in Galatians is so poignant. Verse 25, where he says, uh, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I also really love the definition of joy as said by Rick Warren. He says, joy is the unsettled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So let's check out these highlighted words. Joy is unsettled assurance. Joy is quiet confidence. Joy is a determined choice. Yes, joy is a choice. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a choice. And it's something that you have to nurture with the Holy Spirit to see growth. It's a choice to utilize it as an anchor. And joy, like happiness, it is a feeling of good pleasure. But the difference between joy and happiness is this feeling of good pleasure is based on unknowing. A knowing that is dependent upon who Jesus is, not who I am. Dependent upon who Jesus is, what he said, his promises, not who I am or what's going on around me. That's the difference between joy and happiness. You see, I understand that because we're human, we get caught up in our losses. We do. I've been there. And it's easy to believe that joy is out of reach once you've been hurt so badly or you feel like you've reached your capacity. 
Um, and I felt like I lost my joy. I felt like I lost my joy. But just because you feel something doesn't mean it's necessarily true, right? So I'm going to take you really quick to Psalms chapter 51, where we find King David, the great King David. He was fed up with the toll that sin and distractions had taken on his life. And in verse 12 of chapter 51, he cries out, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. If you notice, he didn't ask for a return of his joy, but rather a restoration. Restoration meaning to bring back to a normal or former. <laughs> All right now. A former condition. It was never really lost. But he knew where his source was. He knew where he needed to get refilled. And just like King David, we have to get to that place where we just get fed up with doing things in our own efforts. I did. <laughs> I knew. I knew enough to know that God was the way out. And you know where he met me? He met me in my surrender. He met me in my submission. He was waiting for me to make the choice. That's what's so good and gracious about God. He really gives you the choice. I needed to make the choice to surrender and to submit. And he met me there. And the thing is, he used things around me and my environment to nurture me and to encourage me. Like at the time, my wife, uh, her faith had just really been stirred up in a new, fresh way. And that was inspiring me. And I made the choice to come to Men's Transform and I got to see Men who really had a heart for God experienced change in front of me. And that encouraged me as well. So what anchors your joy? The first thing that I can think of is just simply regaining your focus. In Hebrews 12 and 2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our greatest example is Jesus. And even Jesus had to choose to focus on the joy set before him, to fix his eyes on the purpose and the vision that his sacrifice would fulfill. The second thing that I think will help you to anchor your joy is a renewed identity in Christ. Knowing who you are and God's real intentions for you is a game changer. It really is. And in order to get to that place, we have to reconnect to our true identity through his word. And that's where we'll find encouragement and reassurance. That's where we'll find that food that we really need to feed our spirits. So when I got to that place, I had to reconnect and lock into that word so I could encourage myself with Nehemiah, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Encourage myself with John 10, 10. I come that you might have life in that more abundantly. Encourage myself with Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Remind myself of the promises of God. His will is not for me to be joyless or empty or devoid of, of life. The last thing I think that can really help you to anchor your joy is simply spending time in his presence. Psalm 16 and 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will. That's a promise. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Another version says in the presence, in your presence is fullness of joy. And that anchoring 
That fullness is found in the presence of God. That's where I received it. In fact, that's where everything that you may need is in the presence of God. It really is that simple. All he longs for is relationship. The yes from your heart. Whatever it is that you may be looking for, because we all need something. Whether that be restoration of joy. And it has been a process. It hasn't been instant. But God, there's wisdom in the process. There's wisdom to be gained in the process. So don't despise the process either if it doesn't just happen overnight. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. And I just want to speak heart to heart to you. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're in need of some restoration, some re-anchoring. Maybe you know Jesus, but you know you need to change some things. You need to re-surrender a few things to him. Maybe you just, you're just tired of doing things your way. Maybe you don't know Jesus and this is the change that you think you need. I just want to tell you that everything you need can be found here in this moment right now. It really is that simple. You see, we weren't meant to carry life alone. All these things, we weren't meant to do it by ourselves. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He is your refuge and he can be your savior. No cliche, just the truth. So we're gonna pray together as a family. And if you're ready to make a change today, and give your life to God and surrender these things to him, just pray along with us. So repeat after me. Thank you, Father, for loving me and meeting me in this moment. I ask that you come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I give over to you everything that I'm carrying, my bad and my good. I give you control of my life. Help me to walk in step with you, to anchor myself in your goodness and power so that I can be all that you've created me to be. So with eyes still closed, I'm going to ask you just to take a moment of bravery. If you've made the decision to give your life to Christ and to surrender some things over to him, I just ask that at the count of three, you raise your hand high enough and long enough for me to see it and to celebrate you. One, two, three. I see those hands. I see that hand. I see those hands at the corner. I see that hand in the very back. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the hearts dedicated today. You can put your hands down. Thank you for the hearts dedicated today. Thank you for the decision of yes. Thank you, Lord, that you demand nothing of us but our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, I lift up everyone in this place today because we all have something to give over to you, God. 
Lord, I thank you for the surrender. I thank you for the yes, God. I lift up your people and I declare that they're blessed, that they're free, that restoration that they're seeking will be so, that healing that they're seeking will be so, joy that they're seeking, peace that they're seeking will be so in the name of Jesus because you are good, because your word does not return void. Thank you, Jesus. So we love you and we praise you now for victory. All right, everybody, let's celebrate those people that have made the decision to say yes to Jesus. Yeah? Amen. God bless you.